You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Batter Up. The definitive Atlanta Braves podcast with host Joe Patrick and Caleb Johnson giving you exclusive insight into our Braves from Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Here's Joe and Caleb. Welcome into the Batter Up podcast. Caleb Johnson here with Joe Patrick. A little different setup today, Joe. I will warn the folks I am on what I guess can be considered a little bit of a vacation down here in Savannah, Georgia, visiting some family so different backdrop. You can hear little little birds chirping. You know, little wind chimes going. If you want to do it every week, I enjoy it a ton. Uh, getting to hear all the all the nature sounds in the background and getting to look at your backdrop is uh, quite peaceful. So I appreciate it. No, it's it's honestly it's one of those things. It's been really nice to come down here and just everything seems to move slower down uh, here. You know, you just wake up in the morning, very casual coffee situation. Go for a nice walk. Um, my wife's aunt has a new dog, so we take the dog for a walk or a golf cart ride. It's just, it is much easier down here. Honestly, if I could come down here every weekend, absolutely would make it happen. But it may not work for the rest of my life, the other things <laughs> you know we have going on. So we, uh, we, we take advantage of it when we have it. Joe, I, I think we should kind of jump straight into this, that... Uh, there are, there are some things with the Braves this week that have uh, caught our attention, I would say. Uh, that might be the, the understatement of it all, in that yeah. the, the Braves have had a complete turnaround from where they were a week ago. I know. It's, it's so funny. I was actually looking at the records um, from past years, and um, you know after turning around an 0-4 start, I think they were... Back to four and four, and then um, I, which I think matched what they were in 2019 through eight games, and one game behind where they were last year. So even though they lost last night, now they're four and five. It's like okay, we're we're, we're not in as bad a situation. It's obviously always kind of disconcerting when you're just trying to wait out for that first win, and it feels like it's never going to come, especially when you start that way. But it was good to get that you know get the first and the second on the same day as they did last week, and then just kind of roll from there. Yeah, I think that was the main thing was you just needed the first one. Yeah. And as as much as it's that old saying in baseball, it really is true because, to your point, the Braves were able to take two wins in the same day, having a doubleheader where not a bad scenario where you get Max Freed and Waskar Enoa, and Enoa was the better pitcher of the day. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Goes five innings without allowing a run. I mean, just against about, Steven Strasburg, you know, it, just like battling Strasburg, and you win that game. 
Exactly. About as ideal of circumstances as you could expect out of what you at one time were considering an opener, but now are we calling Enoa a starter? I, I think so. I mean, he was stretched out as a starter in spring training, so I'd consider him a starter at this point. I mean, his start obviously was the game where he was, it was supposed to be that bullpen game. Turned out the bullpen game was Max Fried's start. He only went, I think, two innings in that game. He he just had a, a bad outing and got hit by that ball on the foot. And not that he's not injured or anything, but uh, kind of funny how there was just a, a role reversal there. So. Um, yeah, been a crazy week, but a, a very good week, I think, for the Braves. And it was telling, I think, after they did win those two, um, you could sense the relief. You know, of course, before they win the first game, it's always like, ah, no, nah, it's no big deal. We're, you know, long season, totally fine. But then when they win the first one, it's like, yeah, we needed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree, because it's, it's one of those, you almost just need that reminder of, like, we can win. Like, we're not going to go, oh, in 162, you know? like it, <laughs> Yeah. Because you get those jokes going out on social media, but then there is, to some effect, something in the back of your mind as an athlete where you're like, I mean, we can't. Can't we? <laughs> you know, you just, especially the way this, this Braves team is built where, I mean, this is a team built for outlasting a, a long season and making it deep into the postseason that it just... They needed the first one. They get it against the Nationals. And then I think, Joe, an added level is the fact of coming home, coming home to Atlanta, sleeping in your own bed, mm-hmm. and then getting to getting a second shot at this Phillies team who really took advantage of you that first time around in the cold weather. You get home to, I guess it wasn't, it wasn't exactly perfect conditions, uh, much like it is here in Savannah, which is like 75 degrees. <laughs> but it was much warmer, and you're at home, and there are people in the stands. Yeah, definitely. I think important to remember, too, for the players is that, you know, when they start the season on the road with a couple series on the road, they're going straight from Northport to Philadelphia. In a typical season, they would come home, play a couple games in, in the home stadium, you know, see their family and things like that before they – go up there but obviously with the COVID protocols and everything they just had to go straight up there so they had yeah they've been away for a long time so I think that it was helpful for these players to finally get back to Atlanta and yeah see their families and and um, be comfortable here Um, I will say as somebody who was very much fortunate to be in the stadium for this opening series um, just how amazing the atmosphere was in the stadium um I know, like, I had a friend who texted me about it, kind of, like, worried about the COVID situation because lots of fans. And I, I, I do understand kind of the um, hesitance in terms of just seeing crowds back, um, even though this is, what, 33% capacity or whatever. But beyond that, I think that it was just an amazing feeling. And when you walk into the ballpark, when you're walking outside the ballpark, you just see happy people um, and people who are just, I think, very – um, gratified like I was to be there, um, and it was just a, it was just a great experience. And so I would just encourage anybody, um, you know, obviously your health, any health risks that you want to take are up to you. But uh, if you are feeling like you would like to get out, I would strongly encourage you do whatever you can to to grab yourself some tickets because it is just a great. It, it, it's nourishing for the soul. It was for me, at least, to be back out there. So uh, I can't wait for everybody to kind of experience that sooner rather than later. 
And we also got to see a really cool experience with a guy by the name of James Scott and his son Joshua, who are Phillies fans, who I think live in Atlanta, but I'm not entirely sure how they ended up in Atlanta. But uh, we're here long enough that came to see a game, caught a Freddie Freeman home run ball, and ended up dropping it into what it looked like the water, just off the wall, into the bullpen, get the ball back, and then James's son Joshua gives the ball to a Freddie Freeman fan, a young kid, just showing what, I don't know, not what sports is all about, but just it's nice to see people being kind. Kind of is. It's yeah. Like- it's what it's what being a sports fan should be all about, you know. It's like yeah, that's just kind of it's the unique thing about sports. Yeah. So I've always been one. I and and I don't think this is a really hot take, but I absolutely despise the idea of catching a home run ball and throwing it back if you're a fan of the opposing team, because if you've ever gone to games, you know, as a kid all the way up into an adult. I am 20, what, about to be 27 years old, have never caught a ball at a Braves game. Like, it just, foul ball, home run ball, none of that. I've never caught it before. Still would, you know, I I feel like I wouldn't fight somebody, but I would definitely go after a ball (laughs) pretty emphatically to try to get one. And the idea that you catch it and, oh, it's not for your team, so you should throw it back. Like, no, I'm, I'm absolutely against that. So I... Actually, Seems seeing wasteful. exactly, yeah. So seeing what Joshua did, I'm thinking. Well, first off, I probably would have held on to the ball, but seeing what he did was like even a step further. It's like that's what you should do. You catch a ball, don't throw mm-hmm. it back onto the field where it's going to end up with one of the players who you know just gets recycled back into game balls. Like give it to a fan who's going to remember that for the rest of his life. And then it was really cool to see what uh, the Braves and the Phillies did by getting Joshua a signed ball from Freddie Freeman and Bryce Harper so that he had some sort of a memory. Just just as, as yeah, as much and class. And you don't get that you don't you just you don't get that unless you have fans in the stands. Like and that's you know, that's it, it yeah. matters. It matters. It matters that they're not cardboard cutouts. It matters that there are actual human beings out there. No, you are you are a hundred percent right. It really makes a difference having those fans there. It does for the players who pick up that extra sense of energy, even if it's just fourteen thousand. You know they can. There, there's something was, we're. I was about to say there's something we're going to get into here in a minute yeah. that was rather <laughs> yeah. uh, memorable for Braves fans. But watching the TV broadcast, they talked about the idea of hey, there might be only fourteen thousand here, but you couldn't tell from the way that they made a difference, made an impact with their voices and the noise that they could make. Yeah, totally. It was so it was just so great. And I, I, I recommend everybody get out there as soon as you can, because I know if you're listening to this, you're obviously a Braves fan. So, But let's get into, I want to get right into this kind of situation that happened last night with Alec Bohm. Uh, he was the Phillies runner who scored from third base on a sack fly. Um, that turned out to be the winning run, scored in the top of the ninth inning. Uh, people are saying that it decided the game. It didn't technically decide the game, because the Braves did have a chance to go up and hit and try to try to tie um, after he scored that. But essentially it was the decisive run, and it was uh, a run that should not have stood. It, it, the, he did not touch home plate despite replay having looked at it. And 
I guess not seeing an angle that they proved to be conclusive. Um, it was interesting situation to me, Caleb, because it, I think it really exposed a lot of the flaws in the replay system as it's been implemented in Major League Baseball. I'm a person who is generally anti instant re- like replay in baseball to help, or in I'm sorry, in sports to help officiating. And obviously, when something like last night happens, everybody says you got you just get rid of it. It's no, there's no point in having it. Get rid of it. I generally think it has a huge role to play in baseball, and I think that it has helped the game because in baseball, you're on, on you're deciding a lot of calls that are very black and white, and that there are natural pauses in the game to take a look and 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 you know see what the call is, um, see what the right call should be, and it prevents delays from managerial arguments and things like that. Um, but I think that last night obviously showed that it's not a perfect system and that, you know, they've implemented things that I think were probably well, well-intentioned, like, um, you know, a limit on how long the, the, a play can get reviewed before they get the game going again. But it seemed to me like the best angle came in on the TV broadcast, at least, and I don't know what they're watching on the replays, but it seemed like the best angle came in right as soon as like they were already, they'd already essentially were like taking off the the headsets and they had decided on what the call was going to be at that point. Um, what was your overall take on the situation? Well, so I think for starters, the, the umpires who are on the field are not the ones making the decision right. on whether to reverse it or whether the call stands. There is a group in what Secaucus, I think who are up in That's New the York. NBA. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So up in New York, <laughs> same uh, same kind of deal though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a, a group up who are completely out of the situation who are making this decision. However, to my understanding, they are not blind of what the decision that has been made on the field. So, mm-hmm. what you end up getting nine times out of ten is whatever the call is on the field. They want to support their umpires by continuing with their call. I think instant replay in Major League Baseball is totally different than in other sports because of how they use it, and it really just seems... I feel like we have way too many instances of the call is just upheld because it is some sort of weird idea that we need to support our guys and the decisions that they've already made so we're just going to stick with their call. I don't know whether their umpires, uh, um, what the not the association, but their the group. Union. Yeah, the union. That's the word I was looking for. The union just being more tight knit and wanting to stay together. You know, I don't know what it is. Um, I know. I think part of it is the idea of moving to electronic. You know calling balls and strikes, everything like that moving in to Major League Baseball, I feel like they get weary of all of those things, and so they want to stick with their call. I hated the decision that was made last night because it it was incorrect. I mean, we have mm-hmm. the camera angles to see that it was incorrect, which is why, Joe, I said on this very podcast, what, three, four weeks ago, give me automatic give me electronic balls and strikes give me a a camera you know whatever robot whatever you want to call it behind the plate calling balls and strikes and i will throw out uh instant replay and just let whoever is on the field 
let human error play in and just play with human error, but give me precise balls and strikes. I so I agree. Um, you know the word that you're going to hear about all after all this is and and what needs to be corrected is that there needs to be transparency. There needs to be more transparency uh, in in the way that video replay is used in Major League Baseball to to correct these calls. And I agree. Uh, but I think that we need to be more specific about what we mean when we talk about transparency. I think that just like the NBA does, it should be. You, I think they should broadcast the conversation that the umpire is having with officials. If that's if they want to keep kind of using the same system, I don't see why it wouldn't benefit fans, honestly, and the officials, uh, you know, that are in these situations. Um, so, so that fans can be aware of what exactly is going on because you don't always know, and it's just it helps everybody, in my opinion, in that situation. Um, you know, I also think that one of the things that they should consider is letting the the umpires have more responsibility or or more accountability in this in terms of just like let them look at the replay and make the call i i'm not as big uh, of a proponent of, of the the call there must be irrefutable evidence to overturn the call and if you don't have like a clear camera angle that's that you know like we can make our best judgments it's not reasonable for us to think that we have we're going to have the perfect camera angle on every play to decide everything. So at some point, you just have to make do with the best information that you have at hand and make the best decision that you can. That you can. Maybe there's something that is inconclusive, and you know the best decision is to just kind of leave it, leave the call in the field. I think that that, that I think that that call should be in the hands of the official, of the head umpire who's officiating and administrating that game on the field. That's just my personal opinion on it. Um, you know, obviously the league is going to want to have some kind of say as well, but I think that that would be kind of something that the union could get behind because that would be something that just gives umpires a little bit more authority. And, I, and I'm with you also that, you know, I think uh, robot calling balls and strikes would be great for the game and just in terms of, you know, keeping consistency, um, streamlining games, making them quicker, that kind of thing. But I think that – so I think that baseball umpires kind of want to – they're afraid of losing, you know, everything that they do that makes them relevant in the game. And so I think that including making them giving them more responsibility in these replay decisions could be one of the ways that kind of get, get gets them some responsibility and, and some accountability back. Yeah, I agree, because in everything else that they do, the accountability is on them. I think about I can't remember the umpire's name, but the one who blew the call uh, there's been two different umpires who blew a call for a perfect game on the final out. Yep, yep. And they are directly associated with that instance happening. It's not a, we sent it up to unnamed people. They decided it's not in our hands. Like there is someone tied to that. And it's someone distinctly makes that decision as well as them making all the other calls. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. There's a happy medium, right? I, I think that's that's what we can agree on, that there's a happy medium in between those two places for replay. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, go, go ahead. Well, I was going to move move us on a little bit past that. Uh, I thought it was fascinating to hear. Obviously, you know, when the snit came on, he was frustrated. The players, you know, Drew Smiley called it embarrassing. Um, Travis Darno <laughs> well, said, might as well get rid of it. See, Drew Smiley says that, and I'm like, oh, 
oh, you're, you're going to talk about the play and I, not I about knew. how you played <laughs> yeah, yourself? I, I was like, oh, okay, make a little scapegoat, you know, spreading the blame there <laughs> for the fact that you gave up five runs, you know, five yeah. earned in that game. Yeah. Yeah. I, as soon as he said that, I was like, ooh, that's, I know that one's coming. Um, but in, most interestingly, Dansby Swanson came on and was like, I wanted to come out here and talk to you guys because I wanted to make I wanted to make a statement saying that it was completely inappropriate how the fans in the stadium reacted, uh, throwing some things on the field. He said it was disrespectful to the players, uh, or I'm sorry, not dis- well, it was disrespectful, but it's a it's a player safety issue, but it's disrespectful to the grounds crew, um, to the people who have to clean these things up, and. Um, yeah, I just thought it was kind of worth pointing that out. If you go to a game, just like that should be like the one thing where it's like you just don't throw something on the field. Like, <laughs> just do something else to to carry out your frustration. But that should be like uh, uh, an easy thing to be able to abide by. Yeah, but I also think part of that is the as someone who has had a job cleaning behind other people, you don't realize that yes, this is a public space. But someone else is going to have to go pick that up. And I think too many times we kind of get into a uh, mental state of being better than and like, well, they get paid to do that. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, they get paid to properly maintain the facilities, not to clean up after you because you're mad. And so you want to throw your beer bottle onto onto the field, which to your, you know, like you were saying, it kind of is a safety issue, you know. Something can shatter. Something can. I mean, there's all kinds of weird injuries that happen to Major League Baseball players all the time. They don't mm-hmm. need flying objects added to the list of things <laughs> that can injure them. You know, I, I think they do just fine in their own personal lives. A- as far as seeing w- what the product has been on the field for the Braves, getting outside of the controversy, uh, I've been surprised, and I don't know about you, Joe, in the fact that. The starters for the Braves have looked so pedestrian, and the bullpen has come out so strong. Repeat that, because I didn't. You froze up on me, real quick. I'm sorry for everybody who, yeah, everybody listening on or watching on Facebook Live. I am in Savannah, in an area that maybe doesn't have the, uh, you know, perfect Wi-Fi, <laughs> so it gets a little spotty every now and then. But we're working through it for the most part. I, I what I was saying, Joe, is the idea. I did not expect the Braves starters to be so pedestrian and then the bullpen to be what comes out and is instead the strong point of this Brave season. Like if you had told me before the season, Oh, the starters are going to be what you're going to have to worry about. And the bullpen is what even with injuries is, is looking fine. Like would you have expected that? I I don't think I would have. Yeah, no, I think it has been surprising to an extent. I, I, I was always more confident in how this bullpen was going to perform than I feel like a lot of people. Um, I, I know that, you know, a lot of, I, I feel like a lot of Braves fans have highlighted, obviously the bench was kind of the big weak spot of this team coming into the season, but I also feel like the bullpen has been um, kind of kind of pointed in the same direction as well. I guess when you lose a guy like Mark Melanson, it's understandable who was, you know, your closer last year. That's a big piece you're, you're replacing and uh, Shane always, Green, and yeah, and Shane Green. That's that's fair. Uh, I've always just been confident in Will Smith uh, to be able to replace Mark Melanson. He's looked okay. He's um, 
not, he's had a couple dominant outings or maybe just one um, so far this regular season, but he was dominant in spring. And I, I don't know. I guess I'm just confident in in Will Smith. The Chris Martin situation is where this thing gets really interesting because there's really no telling how long he's going to be out. Um, it seems like at the at first they wanted to just kind of give him a couple days without throwing, not you know, not make any roster moves or anything, and see how it played out. Because he had the, he he came out of that the last outing um, with the feeling some tingling in his fingers, which yeah. indicates some nerve damage. Um, that could be done in the elbow. They're saying it's a shoulder. I think he is how he was listed because they did finally put him on the IL a few days ago, um, and they were called Jacob Webb. But that's a big piece that you're missing because he was like your top right-handed arm uh, in the back of the bullpen, and you're going to have to find a guy who can step up and, and replace him uh, when you need to go against a right-hander. Um, could I, I, I think Sean Newcomb might have some decent res- reverse splits, and they've been using him late in games so far. Um, is Luke Jackson going to be that guy? Probably not. I honestly, I like uh, J- uh, Jacob Webb, who they called back up, uh, who was uh, very unfortunate to miss out on the opening day roster, but good that he's back up now. I have a lot of confidence in him, but he's not been put in these situations so far in his career. So um, I don't know, it will be interesting, but Chris Martin now on the IL, and we don't really know how long he's going to stay on the IL. Uh, he's on the 10-day right now, but I think it's probably just down to, like, they're just going to try to rest him until – some of this stuff goes away, but honestly, we don't really know exactly how long that's going to take. Yeah, I think it's such an odd injury because it's not something direct that you can just go in and fix. Exactly. That it's it's one of those, yeah, you need rest, you need to see how this heals. That is so concerning because you could just continue to see him being placed on the injured list. Uh, I, I am fine with Jacob Webb coming up because I think he'll fit in nicely to what's going on. Sean Newcomb has looked I mean, as well as I could have wanted him to look this season. So I'm definitely not disappointed in the performance that I'm seeing from Nuke. However, I'm in a, I guess I'm in a bit of a maybe hot takey position in that based on what I've seen so far through, we're we're nine games in, I want to see Will Smith and AJ Mentor switch roles. Mm. I'm ready for it. Mm. I think I think when you're at a position where the the pitcher who is throwing the hottest at, you know, whatever point in your season, you know, I I know that Will Smith has been a closer in the past and so he's kind of in that defined role, but it's not like it, it's not like he's limited in the pitches that he throws. Are they not diverse enough that he couldn't be pushed up earlier and put into a less stressful situation. I'm just so impressed from what I've seen from AJ Mentor this year, who I believe has one of the lowest, if not the lowest ERA amongst the bullpen. And it's just confidence. I think confidence is such a big thing that I'm seeing out of him that I want confidence coming in the ninth inning, not a guy who's coming out that I'm like, oof, He's looked a little rough this year, and I'm not sure that it's all clicking. So that's kind of that's where my brain's been working the last couple of games, and and what I've seen out of those two two guys. I wouldn't mind seeing that honestly. Um, 
other than the fact that I have Will Smith on my fantasy team, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think you're totally right about AJ Minter. I think it's confidence. I think it's also for him, it's confidence in his health. Um, he yes. got in that car wreck. What was it, in 2019? I want to say in spring training mm-hmm. was never the same guy that year, but he finally got right. Looked much better last year, and it looks like he's just continued that into this year, which is just such a huge boost for this bullpen. Um, can't really be overstated. While we're talking about guys in the pitching staff, I say we just move along to uh, Waskar Yanoa, who's in the in the starting rotation now, and I guess he's just the fifth starter. Uh, yeah. We talked earlier about potentially having bullpen games and things like that, and how he performed so well um, in his first start. You know, outdueling Steven Strasburg, and uh, I think that that obviously earned him another start here today. They, you know, when we did a podcast a couple weeks ago, we were expecting. Bryce Wilson to be called up uh, right about yesterday or today. Um, and, of course, that's not going to happen because when Waskar Yanoa goes out and does what he does, um, you can't get rid of that. You're going you're gonna to roll that out there and just you know let it ride. And why not? I mean, he's a young pitcher. It, it's, it's crazy that he is like considerably younger than a lot of these other guys that we talk about as being these brave young starting mm-hmm. prospects, the Kyle Wrights, the Bryce Wilsons. Um, Wasker, you know, I think he's 22, I want to say. He is, yeah. Um, just insane. And the thing I love about him, I think more than anything, in this Braves staff especially, is just his profile is is so different where he's like a bring the heat, the hard slider, a, a, like an aggressive type of pitcher as opposed to um, he's not going to be the guy who kind of like – dances around the edges of the plate he's going to just bring it he's going to bring the stuff um and maybe he kind of refines his approach in it later in his career as he develops you know his pitching repertoire and everything but i just have a lot of fun watching him throw uh, he's a big guy strong guy i know that that's impressed brian snicker this season the way he's able he's built his body essentially um to be able to perform the way he has but um hopefully he goes out there and i, I it's his job to lose i guess i mean he's if if he just keeps out going there out going out there and performing, he's not going to lose his spot. Yeah, I think we're at a point where because he he is getting some benefit, he's already on the roster. Like there does doesn't have to be any yeah. moves made to get him there, and that matters. You know, it's one of those because Bryce Wilson is down at the alternate training site. Why make a move if what you've got is working? And so. Enoa may have really kind of weaved his way in. And, I mean, we do have to talk about the fact he's benefiting from Mike Soroka, who we hadn't really discussed, having a setback. Mike Mike Soroka, not with the leg, Mm -hmm. thankfully, but having a a setback with his arm, which actually could be, I guess, scarier than him (laughs) having an issue with the Achilles, in that it's like, okay, so he had a little bit of a setback, and they're like, let's pump the brakes on him, no need to rush him. Especially from what I've seen, it seems like there's no need to rush him if he's just going to slot into where Enoa's at. And Enoa yeah. is, you know, averaging like what, around 96 and sometimes touching 99. It's like, why, if if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you brought up the Mike Soroka point. I think it's almost like a blessing in disguise what has happened. Um, you know, Brian Snicker kind of said, you know, one of the. Uh, everything happens for a reason uh, phrase, but you know, I think it's, I, I think that it has some merit in this situation where it just lets all parties kind of just forget about trying to hit some benchmark in terms of coming back by late April or mid May or like whatever date it was that, you know, just at least it clears all that stuff off the table. You let Mike just sit back. 
I, he's not going to relax, but uh, you know, just let the arm relax, try to get some of that inflammation down, and then just see where you are. And I and I say I feel confident in saying that it's a, uh, you know, it's one of these things because there they there is no structural damage from what they have assessed in the shoulder. So it's not like there is an actual. Um, tear or something that is that is wrong it's just some general inflama- inflammation which you know they've always said is going to be one of the things that they were going to have to watch out for with Mike coming back from this injury which is that you know he just didn't he didn't throw as much as he normally yeah. would have last year so um it's only kind of natural to expect that something like this may have happened so I'm glad that he's going to be getting a little bit more rest and especially when you have a guy like Waskar Yanoa who can come in and replace him it's not like you're missing a ton, you know, he, he's given you good performances so far, and I think that the Braves can generally um, continue relying on those kinds of performances. And it leads you to the thought of if the Braves are able to get to a point where Soroka comes back healthy and you just slot Enoa as a as a super sub almost, I would kind of I would <laughs> yeah. call him as someone who can come out of the bullpen or give you a spot start. It's just one of those ideal circumstances for a pitching staff that I think starters have struggled, but I expect them to work out their kinks, you know, here in the next month or two. Bullpen looking good, and now the bats have finally come alive. I think that was something that when we had last talked, the Braves, you know, having not won a game so far this season, it was very worrisome that the Braves weren't hitting and since then, I'm trying to – I can't even recall how many – it's like nine home runs have been hit since we last were on the podcast. Oh, probably. Yeah, probably something it's, like that. It's been a, a very high number in that it was three last night alone. Ozzy Albies also being one of those getting back finally, well, getting been, to the right side of the plate oh. and, and scoring some offense. We, we were joking uh, before, well, I guess on via text, um, and it may have been, was it two pods ago, we were like worried about Ronald Acuna's form in spring training, and then yes. now he's like the best hitter in baseball to start <laughs> the season. And then I think all it took was like, we got to worry about Ozuna now on the next pod, and then after that, he, he hits a home run. He, it seems like he could be, or not, I'm sorry, not Ozuna, uh, Ozzy Albies. Um, he hits the home run, and now it looks like he could be kind of on his way back as well. Although it always helps with Ozzy Albies um, when he's hitting right-handed. And I know that, <laughs> Caleb, this was also something that you were texting about, wondering if uh, maybe he would just stop hitting. It was that, is that what you were kind of insinuating? Was that you yeah. know, maybe he'd just be better off not, hitting, not switch hitting and just hitting right-handed? Well, it looked like just Twitter as a whole was kind of it's yeah. being the manager and saying, hey – Brian, seems like what we're seeing here is in two plate appearances against left-handed hitters, Ozzy's got a hit, and the rest of the time he's batting from the left side, and we're not seeing the same offensive production. Hey, mate, I know that the ability to be able to switch hit, obviously a, a great ability to have something, you know, as a part of your arsenal, great that you can do that. However... If it's working on one side, just leave. Yeah, that's once yeah. again one of those if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of deals that I just wonder if it's like, okay, if average fans and journalists are seeing this and going, hmm, you have to think that the rest of the team sees this and that Brian Snicker does too. 
And so I just, I'm like, what are they waiting on? I really don't know what's going on. Although, I, I'm glad to see Ozzy get a hit. Especially because that two-hole is so valuable. And I don't want it to go to waste. Right, yeah. And it does feel like a huge, it's kind of been like a black hole in this Braves lineup so far this season. Just with Ozzy not hitting. And, well, yeah, he's been the only one who's really occupied that role. I think to go back to the switch hitting thing, you know, I think that mainly this is a decision that Ozzy would make, you know, it's like down to the hitter himself, whether he feels comfortable doing this or not, you know, in terms of hitting right-handed against a right-handed pitcher. Um, but it, I think the reason why this comes up with Ozzy, well, it's obviously for two reasons. One is because if you just look at the splits, it's like ridiculous him hitting right-handed against left-handed pitchers. Um, he's like an MVP quality hitter. Like I don't have the stats pulled up in front of me. I wish I, I did the splits, but if you look at it, it's like an over one OPS, absolutely ridiculous. Um, and, but uh, and on top of that, just without even knowing the stats, when you watch him swing, it, it's a different swing from the left side yeah. and the right side. And you can just tell when he's hitting right-handed, there's so much more like bat control and he's just like so much, it's, it's so much more fluid and natural as to where that right hand or that left-handed swing is more of just like a, it almost reminds me of, I don't know if you're old enough to remember Keith Lockhart for the Braves, but he was just like this little lefty second yes. baseman. Yeah. And he was just like this, like little yank he would just like yank the ball into right field and that's like kind of pretty much what Ozzy Aldis does from that right side when he's hitting or from the left side when he's hitting right-handed he'll spray it everywhere he's just a complete hitter and so yeah it's just like oh it's tantalizing to you know think about potentially getting that all the time well I, I think it just goes into basic mechanics of I mean you go into the average person writing with your dominant hand versus writing with your not your your non-dominant hand it doesn't look the same, you know, mm-hmm. and, and granted, obviously, like, he's been doing this for years. Yeah. Guys guys who are switch hitters have been practicing, the, practicing this from a young age, typically, which is why you're able to do it, but there is something to be said for the fact of having a dominant side, having a dominant hand, and I don't know, I'm, I'm at a point where I'd at least just, I'd like to see it, and if it doesn't work out... Okay, fine. Go back to what you're used to switching, depending on the pitcher. But let's at least see if just working on your swing has improved enough to one side that it's worth sticking with it. You know, and, and yep. just <laughs> yeah, you know, let, let's let's make use of the two hole. I think that's kind of the exactly. conversation that you and I were having where. Ozzy, up until last night, hitting a home, uh, you know, hitting a two-run shot, hadn't been producing in that two-hole spot, and it was like, look, do we need to make a move? I mean, I know we have no designated hitter, but does Freddie need to slide up? Do we need to pull Dansby back up and swap the two, like has been done in the past? I know Dansby isn't hitting particularly any any better. I mean, technically, he's hitting better, but. Not great numbers wise. Mm-hmm. No, nobody in that bottom of the order is hitting very well. So it's like, do we need a change, or is it just let Ozzy hit from the right side of the plate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, what do what do you think, Joe? So uh, my I would if if I were the manager, I would have Freddie Freeman hit second behind Ronald Acuna Jr. Like to me, the order does not like well. The order does matter, but I feel like we get attached to the traditions of the order, you know, where it's like the best hitter hits third. 
Yeah. Um, I think the best hitter should probably hit second, honestly, or f- first or second. Um, and I think that you should have your best hitters hitting right next to each other in the order because they protect each other. They they will help each other when they're in that configuration. We saw that. Um, to We saw how well that played last year. Obviously, the, the issue with that or what has been expressed by the team is that the pitcher is hitting right in front of Ronald Acuna Jr. this year, obviously, instead of um, not ha- having a DH involved. So there will probably be less opportunities for Ronald Acuna to hit with men on base or, or at least somebody on first base in front of him. Um, and likewise, that would you know filter down to whoever's hitting second. I think it should be Freddie Freeman. Um, but I think there is an interesting argument, debate here to be had. I don't even know if I, there isn't really a correct answer, to be perfectly honest. But I would prefer Freddie hitting second. Um, and I think that in lieu of that, if we, if we want to just have a discussion about um, who would be the better second hitter? I think it's Dansby Swanson. He, to me, he's just like a better contact hitter than 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 Ozzy. Um, and I think Ozzy gives you more power down lower in the lineup, where he might have more opportunities to drive in runs for himself. Yeah. So the reason, so I lean towards moving Dansby up in this lineup. I don't want Freddie Freeman hitting in the two hole. the The reason why I don't want Freddie Freeman hitting the two hole is because you're going to be able to depend on Ronald Acuna hitting a lot of leadoff home runs. And because Acuna can hit those leadoff home runs, then he's not on base. And so when Freddie comes up there in the two-hole, then he's hitting a lot of home runs and no one's on base. So Mm -hmm. I like the idea of someone who is maybe not hitting for so much power, who's really just getting on base and you're scoring more runs that way. Um, but at the same time, I mean, Dansby has shown once the wrist, once his wrist healed that he can hit for power too. So ideally I like where it's at with Ozzy in the two hole, but I need Ozzy to be able to hit. Otherwise this whole process isn't working. So that's, I think that's why I lean towards leave it where it's at, but let's see Ozzy hit from the right side of the plate so that we can, I mean, it seems like, you know, the the guys know what they're, you know, Snit knows what he's doing. He's worked around this team long enough that he knows how this works, that it just, it needs to get uh, through all of the, the kinks to work it out, to get this entire team together and, and hitting well. Yeah, I agree. I think that it'll be, there are obviously many options they can go to. And I, I tend to think we will see, kind of a, a big shakeup in this batting order eventually. I, I think it's still a little bit early to, to make a big move like that um, because you just don't want anybody's um, – you don't want to cause emotional damage to anybody here. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but you know, I think they waited about six weeks in 2019 before they made a big, a big shuffle, and I think that um, they may wait about that long again this year if they feel like they have a lot more they can get out of this offense. So – um, all sets up for a very interesting week for the Braves, though. Continuing this homestand, I think that they can start to pick up, rack up more wins. You got winnable games against the Marlins, and um, should be an interesting week. They could be in first place by the time we have a, a our next pod. Yeah, well, and it's nice too because the day before we go to record again is another Sunday night baseball game that is nationally televised. So it'll be it'll be nice to see. I, I think it was it was important 
for a national audience to see what this Braves team looked like and was reminded again of the MVP level of Ronald Acuna. And mm-hmm. so him being able to show that, I think, made a difference, even with the bit of controversy that really grabbed a lot of eyeballs and it, it got a lot of attention from Major League Baseball, even though it was in that, that negative light. I'm, I'm interested to see what the Braves look like against a Cubs team that they haven't seen a full season, I, you know, playing in your division last year kind of made a lot of things look very strange. So I'm, I'm curious to see what that kind of level of competition looks like when we're, we're uh, not quite a week from now, but getting another, another uh, nation, nationally televised game that could, uh, could start to stack, like you were saying, start to stack some wins before, after our next pod is when it'll get interesting because you're going up a bi- against a big AL opponent in the Yankees and a team that you don't get to see very often. So that, that should be very interesting. But, Joe, I think this kind of wraps up all of the things we wanted to cover this week. I'm very excited and interesting what we will see a week from now for everybody watching on Facebook Live and listening. Hopefully you will pick this up on the Odyssey. Almost. (laughs) I I started to do it. Like I've been such a – I try to be such a team player. But on the Odyssey app, wherever you listen to podcasts, Thank you for everybody watching on Facebook Live. We'll catch you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.